One of the most embarrassing moments of my childhood was when I went clothes shopping with my mom and my older brother. I didn't care much for shopping or picking out my own clothes. Uh, I pretty much was uh, just there to try things on that my mom thought might look good. Um, my brother, he was a little more interested. He liked to find all the things that were in his size and and then try them on. And so um, what might take me 10 minutes would take him an hour. And so after much long suffering, my mom quieted my exasperation by handing me some candy. And she told me to give some to my brother. And so I, I went to his dressing room, which he had been in this whole time. Uh, it had this opening underneath the door. And I, I noticed he was in the middle of changing. Um, his pants were crumpled in a pile next to his shoes. Uh, and so rather than patiently waiting for him to finish, because I had no idea how long that would be, I stuck my hand under the door and started waving the candy around and, and said, Matt, here, mom gave us some candy, take it. And shockingly, he didn't immediately take it. Uh, I was mortified when a voice, not my brother's, responded, I'm not Matt. Uh, I immediately ran off to find a circle of, of shirts to crawl between. And then I hid until my mom was concerned that I didn't come back. Um, and as embarrassing as that moment was, and the fact that I still vividly remember, uh, I never felt any shame over it. Uh, the, the difference between embarrassment and shame is the moral component. And I was embarrassed to the point that I wanted to hide, but there was nothing inherently wrong with what I did. Uh, I had no malicious intent. I had simply mistook another man's feet for my brother's. And I might have apologized for that mistake, but it wasn't going to keep me up at night with this deep sense of guilt. Shame, on the other hand, is how we respond when we know we have done something morally wrong. It's the natural response of a human who has sinned, who has transgressed the law of God. And since we've been created in the image of God, and we have the law of God written on our hearts, according to Romans 2.15, we experience shame whenever we sin. Now, we may suppress that. We may have uh, numbed our experience of that to some degree, but the shame is still present. Um, and as long as we continue to sin in this life, we will continue to experience shame. There's simply no avoiding it. Uh, unfortunately, the world minimizes or excuses sinful action in order to reduce our experience of shame. It's sort of like shame is the problem and you just need to get rid of the shame. In fact, the, the word shame likely comes from the verb to cover, which biblically we, we call that atonement. Uh, so in, in order to psychologically deal with a guilty conscience, we try to cover it with shame. And that's why we oftentimes uh, intuitively think that, that the more intense our shame, uh, the more we think our guilt is covered, the more it sort of gives us some sense of, of balance. Uh, but shame never truly covers sin. 
and minimizing or excusing our sin never works for long. So although we always experience shame in the present, in this present life because we're always sinning, uh, there is a way to have con the condemnation of that shame removed. Right? So, so yes, we will we'll have shame with us because we'll continue to sin, but there is a way to have the condemnation of that shame removed so that we might enjoy a shame-free eternity. And that's ultimately what this passage is about. And so before we read this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that every time we open it, we can be confident that you are present. Lord, that you are speaking through your word. Lord, we need your spirit to understand it. We need your spirit to apply it to our lives. Lord, we, we, we want to read it in faith. And so we ask you to give us eyes to see. Lord, open this text to us. Open our own hearts to this text that we would be transformed by it. Lord, help us to respond to it. Help us to, to be freshly moved by this familiar passage. And Lord, may you be glorified as we do sit under this preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. We can turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 44. Matthew chapter 27, verses 26 through 44. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisted and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, 
if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the first thing I want us to consider from this passage is verses 26 through 37, how Jesus was mocked by Romans. Uh, Matthew's older readers could have been in the crowd when Jesus was crucified. So imagine reflecting back upon that fateful day and remembering your own participation in the chanting. Remember, remember the escalation of excitement as Pilate concedes to the demands to crucify Jesus. Recall Barabbas, the murderer, walking out of prison free. Finally, remember as Jesus is scourged in front of everyone. What, what were they thinking now that they understood who Jesus was? I imagine they felt some shame taking part in crucifying the Son of God. The physical pain that Jesus experienced began in earnest at his scourging. Uh, a soldier held a whip that had multiple knotted uh, strands, also known as the cat of nine tails, uh, and upon which the, the oftentimes tied into those knots were broken pieces of bone or even shards of metal. Um, and the purpose of this whip was to shred open the skin on a person's back. The soldier would whip the convicted criminal 39 times because it was believed that they would kill them if they did it 40 times. And in fact, many did die from scourging. So immediately following his scourging, Jesus was ushered into the governor's headquarters, surrounded by hundreds of, sol of soldiers uh, who have nothing better to do than to make sport of another criminal. And so they stripped Jesus, they dressed him up as a faux king with a, a scarlet robe, a crown of thorns, and then a reed for a staff. And this reed was, was likely a rod that, that these soldiers would have used for punishing criminals. And so they stick it in his hand as if he's king, and then they pull it out of his hand. Some of them are, are chanting, Hail, King of the Jews. Others are spitting upon him. Others are taking that rod and, and uh, striking him with it. And when they're finished, they, they strip him again and they put it back on his own clothes and they send him on to his crucifixion. Now, normally those who were condemned to crucifixion were made to carry their own crossbeam. But apparently Jesus at this point is already far too exhausted to carry it himself. And so they conscripted Simon uh, to carry it for him. And upon arriving at the scene of the crucifixion, they would have found the other beam already upright in its place. Uh, nails were then uh, would have been used to hammer his wrists and his feet into the cross uh, in order to increase the cruelty. There may have been ropes involved as well. Um, but as, as the convicted criminal's breathing became labored, uh, they would have to lift up their body on the cross to breathe. Um, and so as they did so, they're placing more weight upon their feet, which are nailed to the cross, obviously adding more pain to the feet. But that was the only way they could, they could continue to breathe. And this would have extended sometimes for days. 
um, sometimes the cross was was fitted with foot rests or even a, a, a seat. Um, and, and that wasn't for relief. It was in order to prolong their agony right? so that they could have an easier time breathing. And so this was just a slow, excruciating way for someone to die. The details of this are excluded in all of the Gospels. Um, but the original audience was all too familiar with the scene. And so for us to understand how, how the, uh, the original reader would have understood it, we kind of have to go back and, and get something of that context. But it's interesting that none of the Gospels um, belabor the physical pain of Jesus. They, they much more focus on the, physical, I mean, the, the spiritual uh, torment that he endured and the mockery and shame. And that's really the focus in this first section. Next week, we'll look at uh, the rest of his crucifixion, which gets into the spiritual torment that he in, under, endured. But in this case, it's, the, it's, it's this mockery and this shame that he experiences. Uh, it doesn't belabor. It doesn't sensationalize. Um, it's not as if uh, God was waiting for Mel Gibson to create the passion of Christ and and reveal how the crucifixion really looked in order for us to understand that. If that were the case, it would have they, we we, we would have gotten those details written in God's word. And so I think it's important that we balance here uh, and some understanding of what the crucifixion caused because there was physical pain. It was excruciating, but. It's not the primary focus. It's not what we should be dwelling upon. And so Jesus was offered wine. It's mixed with gall. Some have suggested that this was a painkiller. Um, but at, it's hard to imagine the, the soldiers becoming all of a sudden compassionate, wanting to relieve him of his pain. More likely, it's a mixture that fulfills Psalm 69:21, which refers to poison as food and sour wine for drink. And so if that's the case, it would imply that this concoction was used to increase Christ's humiliation. It was more mockery uh, rather than provide any sense of relief to him. So then the final aspects of mockery at the hand of the Romans is when, uh, when they crucified him. Uh, then they gambled to divide his garments, which would have left him naked. And when they nailed the sign above his head that read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. But all of this is, is sort of a visible representation of the shame that Christ endured on the cross. And, and it's not the end of his humiliation, because Jesus was also verbally mocked by the Jews. And that's what you get to in verses 38 through 44. Uh, he was crucified among robbers. And these are, it says robbers in Matthew, but they're probably insurrectionists. You, you compare this with uh, Mark 15, 7. They're probably insurrectionists, uh, rebels, um, who, who were associated with Barabbas. And so they, either way, they, they would have likely been violent criminals, um, which would have explained why they were being crucified. And so Jews who, who passed by as Jesus is being crucified, are, are wagging their heads. They're adding their own mockery in verses 39 and 40. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, which would have, which would have been the three categories that make up the Sanhedrin, uh, the Jewish rulers, um, they, they were all unified in their rejection and mockery of Jesus, which is described in verses 41 through 43. And even the robbers who were uh, crucified next to him, begin mocking Jesus. That's initially, at least, because in Luke for, uh, chapter 23, verses 40 through 43, you get the the story that at least one of those robbers, 
uh, it is just one of those robbers, ends up uh, repenting and getting and receiving the promise from Jesus that today you'll be with me in paradise. And so it's a beautiful picture when you have the the all the gospel accounts combined. But in all of this visible and and verbal mockery that that Jesus endured, it's interesting that the truth of their words is apparent to believers. Right? As you as you read the the language they use in the mockery, the whole scene is ironic because it is truly the King of Kings who's being mocked by Jews and Gentiles. And what Matthew's doing is he's hammering home the point that Jesus was despised and rejected by the world he came to save. Uh, Leon Morris, in referring to the Sanhedrin mockers, says their outlook was wrong. They said they would have believed he was the Son of God had he come down from the cross. We believe he was the Son of God because he stayed up. I love that. And Mount says this, something similar. He says it was the power of love, not nails, that kept him there. And so in Acts, Peter accused the, the Jews of crucifying Christ, and yet he also acknowledged that it happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's in Acts 2.23. And just the passage that we've read right now includes several prophecies uh, that were fulfilled in Jesus' crucifixion. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be scourged and mocked in chapter 50, verse 6, and that he would be crucified among transgressors in chapter 53, verse 12. And then the psalmist mentioned the offer of sour wine in chapter 69, 21, gambling for his clothes in chapter 22, verse 18, and his mockery from Jews in chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, as well as 109, verse 25. So Jesus himself had already warned his disciples that this would happen. You just have to go back to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Uh, that's why he was passive through all of this. Um, he, he allowed them to lead him from one group to the next, being mistreated by each group. Uh, we know he allowed them to do this because he had already confirmed in the Garden of Gethsemane that he would drink every last bit of the cup of God's wrath. So all of this means that we cannot simply shame those who were present right, on, on the day of his crucifixion. They're not the only ones guilty here. The blame for Christ's death cannot simply fall upon those who, participate in the who participated in the visible and verbal mockery on that day. Now, the point of this for every reader is, is to show that Jesus was ultimately mocked by sin. So last week we sang, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And there's the line that says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Do you believe that? Jeremiah Burroughs writes, You wrong Christ in the work of redemption because the least sin you commit, if ever it is pardoned, is that which stabbed Jesus Christ to the very heart. I say your sin was that which pierced Christ and brought forth blood and water from him. It was that which whipped Christ. It was that which put Christ to death. 
which shed the blood of Christ, which crucified Christ. So why did Jesus have to die? Because the same sin that brings shame into our lives also brought separation between us and God. God is a just judge who must punish sin. And only the perfect sacrifice of a sinless Savior could have satisfied divine justice. The sacrificial death of our Lord provided an eternal covering, a true atonement for the sins of all who place their faith in him. And so sinful men tried Jesus, sinful men scourged Jesus, sinful men beat Jesus, sinful men mocked Jesus, and sinful men crucified Jesus. But the reality is that their sins were no more worthy of damnation than any of our sins. Still, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12.2 He did this so that sinners might be reconciled to a holy God. There will not be any shame for those who place their faith in Christ. And that's because Christ took their shame upon himself. At the cross, the condemnation of our shame was fully defeated. When you see your sin... When you confess it, and when you believe in Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross for you, the same joy that was set before him is promised to you. If God turned the shame of the cross for his glory, he can certainly turn your shame into everlasting joy. And so turn to him, repent, and believe in your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to meditate upon this truth. And I do pray that we would never tire of meditating upon the truth of the cross and the redemption that was accomplished on our behalf. Lord, you purchased us. Those who, who joined in the mockery by our own sin who can be counted among those who spit upon you, those who scourged you, those who, who were worthy of being crucified next to you. Lord, we, that is what our sin deserves. We deserve the death that you received in our place. And so we come to you humbly as sinners, recognizing our need for a Savior. Recognizing, once again, our need to meditate upon these things. May this, may this truth fill our hearts and our minds uh, the rest of this day and throughout this week. Lord, help us to, to turn away from the the noise of the media or from from social media from the news and help us to fall upon our faces before you and to be filled with the gratitude for what Christ has done for us it's in his name we pray amen